we're going to be reading through verse 12 today, but uh, we'll look at verse 12 more thoroughly next week. Um, actually, we're going to stop midway through verse 11 as well. I, I realized as I was writing out the sermon, I'm going to be running out of time. Uh, and the reason why we're looking at stopping at verse 11 is because it directly correlates to verse 7, and so we'll invest more time into those verses today. Um, we've just moved from Paul's repetition of these two key words, one and all, in um, the previous verses. And so these, the last three weeks, we've been unpacking those words and those respective words, and, and you can listen to those teachings if you need a refresher on that. Those past studies bring us to our verses this morning, and, and we start with verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us. So no exceptions. No one is superior to another. We've all received this grace, and we're just not a, simply a number to God. God does, ju doesn't just see us as a group of people. He sees each one of us. And it's the same way moms see their children, right? As, as precious individuals, not as just this mass of children if they have multiple, but each one as an individual with their own personality, their own gifts, challenges, characteristics, they see them. Now, why is that even important? Because being part of the body of Christ doesn't mean that we've lost our individual identity. That you as an individual have an express purpose in this larger family that we have. You're not just a number in the masses. You have this unique call for the work of ministry. And we have one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us and yes, God cares for the entire body, and God also cares for you as an individual. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And skipping down to verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and individually, members of it. So you're not just a number in the crowd. God loves you as the individual, and we're not all the same, we're not all uniform, and it's important to not confuse unity with uniformity. When, when people are all uniform, it, it's kind of freaky, right? In a church, if you go in and everyone's just kind of same, it kind of like gives the cult vibe feelings, like, right? But we're, we're all part of the same body of Christ Jesus, and each one of us was given grace. Your life has purpose, and the diversity that we have in this purpose is multi-varied. We, we all have different gifts given to us, and it is to be used for the work of ministry. Now let's go back to uh, a few words to this each one of us phrase, uh, from the each one of us phrase to this word grace, because it's important to define grace in this context. The grace spoken of here isn't speaking of the, the grace that saves us, as in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which read this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
The grace written about in chapter 4, verse 7, is one that enables us to serve. And there is a wide array of gifts to serve. And Paul mentioned this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, when writing about the manifold wisdom of God. And then 1 Peter, also uh, Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul and Peter write that each one of us has received this gift, that no one in Christ is without grace, nor are they without a gift, which means not a single one of us is exempt from service to God. Everyone in Christ has their individual part to contribute for the building up of the body of Christ. Now you might know not exactly how your gift is to contribute to this, but you are to exercise the gifts that were given to you for the work of ministry to serve God. And when you have this gift, the gift magnifies the giver, not the receiver of that gift. It is the gift that is given by the giver who, who, who was thoughtful about what to give. The giver was generous in the giving, resourceful in providing the gift. It is the giver who is to be exalted, not the gift or the recipient of the gift. So there's no reason for you and me to be prideful or arrogant about any gifts that we have or who we are with those gifts because it's all God's glory that it's pointing to which tells us something important because some may be jealous of another's gift. But maybe, perhaps, it just simply shows our immaturity or our lack of gratitude of what we have already received. The gifts are diverse, and they vary in function, size, significance, but it's not a particular gift that is important or the individual recipient who receives the gift who is important. It is the giver. Now we're given this list of gifts in the Bible. It's not an exhaustive list, but we find lists of gifts in places like Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, here in Ephesians 4. And if you were to list out all of these gifts, it only comes out to about a couple of dozen. That's it. So do you think Almighty God only gives out... A, two boxes of donuts worth of gifts. Like, that, that's it? You know, that's all he gives, you know? It, it, it's not a comprehensive list. It's, it's a representative list. And it's like what John wrote about everything that Jesus did. Right? In John chapter 21, 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There is so much more to ministry to be done than, than what we have been given in these lists of gifts. And I'm sure if everyone was writing down the things that, that Jesus did, we'd, we'd see much more gifts in those actions, right? If, if John, as he said, wrote all these books out, all these gifts would be coming out, and one of them is perhaps art. That art is a gift, and yet it's not written about in those Four letters. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are 
varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So a variety of gifts, services, activities, but all the same giver. It's Mother's Day, and moms know how to give good gifts, right? Moms don't give the same gifts to all of their children because their children are all different from one another. And so they have different interests, different personalities, different abilities, ages. So mom gives according to those different things, and, and not every child gets the same thing. Also, moms give at different times. Everyone gets gifts, but they are, they are sometimes given at different times because one child's shoes wears out more quickly than another's. The, the birthday is on a different day. Not everything is the same all the time, and I'm sure everyone has heard these questions of comparisons if you've had a sibling. You know, why does she get that? Or, or how come I didn't get that? Or why, why does his gift do that and mine doesn't? Well, the gift really isn't about the recipient of the gift, nor is it about the gift. The gifts are given by Christ, and grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift for a purpose. And when we recognize the gifts we have are for a purpose, hopefully we stop the comparing of the gifts and we get on with using the gifts for God's glory. We are to serve for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, as verse 12 tells us, to have this servant mentality that is to be pervasive in the church, one that is of service. Now, sometimes people approach church as consumers, what they can get out of it. And of course, it is a place to receive, to receive something, such as God's word. But there's something really important that sometimes gets forgotten, and that's what we can contribute, to contribute our prayers, our financial gifts, the sharing of Jesus, fellowship, hospitality, gifts of service. The gifts have been given so that we can contribute what we have, not just to consume what everyone else has to give. And so we're coming into this post-COVID time for the church, which is unprecedented. And frankly, we don't know what church is going to look like in the coming months. We have no idea. And so right now is actually a really great time for us to reset. Now is a great time to start thinking about how to serve with your gifts if you're not serving already. And I confess to you that we've never been perfect in how to involve others' contributions to the church on how to serve. That's, that's not something we've ever been really, really great at. We, we probably won't be perfect at it ever because there's always room to get better. But we can sure use someone's gift to organize us better. Right now is the time to kind of pray and figure out and talk to people as to how to better serve the church. Now we have ideas as elders and deacons and ministry staff, but, but the ideas don't have to be just from those groups. You're invited to contribute to the conversation about how to rethink service in the church. Now, please feel free to email us or call us or just communicate with us at the church as to 
how to be better at serving. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he, speaking of Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this is from Psalms chapter 68, verse 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now Psalm 68 is this beautiful poem about the ark arriving into Jerusalem. And we know that the ark represented the presence of the Lord. And it's this beautiful picture of God moving with his people. So going back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, why is Paul quoting Psalm 68, verse 18? It's because those in Christ have become the dwelling place of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, it reads, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is showing that what was written in Psalm 68, verse 18, by the psalmist, was written about the ascended Christ Jesus. That the ascension of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this psalm, and the benefit we have today that the psalmist didn't have is that we can read the Bible backwards to the front. That, that we can read Ephesians 4 to get the answer to the question from Psalm 68. Jesus ascended and led a host of captives. That those who were once enslaved by the evil one are now set free. The evil one who, who thought he could keep those captives in bondage was defeated in just the most unlikely of places. It was a place of humiliation, a place of shame, a place of suffering, a place of pain. And Jesus died on that cross and was placed in a tomb. He resurrected from the dead and he ascended on high. He led a host of captives. Take a look at Colossians chapter 2 starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is all because of God's goodness. This is all because of God's grace. That God, Christ, united what was once divided. And, and there is to be unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, verse 3, that those in Christ, the, the one body, are indwelled by the one Spirit, and we are called to the one hope, verse 4, to the one Lord of the one faith, to the one baptism, verse 5, we have one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, verse 6. And then we get to that, verse 7. Now take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
And through that one mediator, Jesus Christ, sinners, all of us, are brought out of darkness and into light. We are brought out of death and into life with God and with each other. And this is because of the indwelling presence of Christ in our lives. This is who Paul is writing to, and he's, he's pointing out the unity of those in Christ have with God and with each other. Now Christ ascended, where to? Verses 9 and 10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, we need to look at these verses with spiritual eyes because if we look at them with our natural eyes, how will we interpret this? Ascended far above all the heavens. Because where is that? This is not speaking of a physical space. This is spiritual space. A spiritual place. And we need to read verses 9 and 10 with spiritual minds in light of the passage. So we need to read it with Philippians 2, chapter 5 through 11 in mind. So let's read this. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. The gifts we are given are for the glory of God. Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. How are we using the gifts the Lord has given us for his church? When Jesus ascended... That means he defeated evil. And there is still a day to come when that victory is finalized. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The ascended Christ will return in judgment. The same gracious ascended Christ who gives us gifts of grace and goodness so that others will be saved by his grace through faith. The gifts he gave us have purpose and, and they're not to be misused or unused. They're to be used for the Lord's Glory with us being united, using our gifts together. And when we come together to church, we don't just come to be informed of things that we don't know. A big part of why we gather together is to remind ourselves of things we are to never forget. And 
here are some things we are never to forget as a church in chapter 4. The divine nature of our unity, verse 3. The amazing diversity that we have as a result of God's gifts given to us. The, the significance of partnership in ministry and, and, and the hope of growing towards spiritual maturity. That in our unity we call God Father. That through the unity in Christ, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that this was proven to be true between those Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians who were once very hostile towards one another. But Christ broke down that wall of separation and, and he made something new, united in Christ. Now let's take a look at these gifts. Verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now when we look at verse 11, these gifts refer back to verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've, we've all been given the gift of grace. And then verse 11, it's, it's specific gifts that are mentioned. And within this specific group of gifts, there's this common thread that runs through them. He gave them apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. What do all of these positions of service have in common? All of them have preaching and teaching and communicating the word of God. They all use the word of God as part of their service. That without the communication, the preaching, the teaching of the word of God, no church or individual can spiritually mature to where God wants us to be. Now this isn't just speaking in, of, of preaching and teaching that comes from a, a pulpit. Although definitely from the pulpit. But, but this is to happen throughout the life of the church. For us to continuously and regularly ask, what does the Bible have to say about this? Any, any issue. What does the Bible mean when dealing with any matter that is before us? How does the Bible apply to our life? And so rather than just giving our opinions, looking together as to what the Bible has to say about matters that are of a concern. So spiritual maturity will only come about with the ministry of God's word. Now let's first take a look at apostles. Paul mentioned them as, as well as prophets earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. He, read, he writes, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now apostles were people appointed by Christ who are select and it's unrepeatable. And I know there's a lot of debate about this. But this is what seems to me how it's been being read. That this is a group chosen by God with these distinctive characteristics. So first of all, they were chosen by God. Acts chapter 9 verse 15. The Lord said to him, Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This is Jesus speaking to Ananias about the apostle Paul. Now the second characteristic of an apostle is that they were an eyewitness to Christ. Paul wrote these rhetorical questions in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And thirdly, 
An apostle was inspired by the Spirit to speak and write the words of Christ, which are the scriptures that we have before us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And lastly, their works included signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. The apostles were reserved for those to establish the foundation of the church and not afterward. There were, are, and will be people after that inaugural period of the church who will claim themselves to be apostles. But that just can't be since the word of God is not to be added to. There are some who believe in apostolic succession where apostleship moves from one person to another person. It doesn't seem like a biblical teaching to me. There is apostolic teaching, but not apostleship. The apostolic teaching that moves from one generation to the next generation, but there isn't evidence of apostleship moving from one person to another person, that there are no apostles today. And apostolic authority is in the word of God, it is not in a person. Next, let's look at prophets. So like apostles, they're their place was foundational to the establishment of the church. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is now have been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The prophet's role was to be God's mouthpiece to the world. To share the revelation of God to the world, which isn't to be an ongoing thing because we have the scriptures, which aren't to be added to. The, the logical progression is that prophets will have no more to reveal because we have God's word. That there is no more need to proclaim further what the word tells us already when the word is doing that for us, we, we already have the word spoken by the apostles, by the prophets, and the foundation of the church was laid by those inaugural apostles and prophets. So there are no successive apostles, there are no successive prophets after them because they're not needed and we have God's word. Now whatever claims people make, we have to look at those claims in the light of scripture. That nothing actually has changed all that much since the creation of humanity. We've always been struggling with the same thing, and it goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, did God actually say you shall not eat of the, any tree in the garden? And it always goes back to this. Did God actually say? Whenever we're looking at issues that are before us, this is the question that we need to ask and figure out what the Bible is really telling us. The same challenge since the creation of humanity. Did God actually say, no, and no matter what it is, we can look at the problem stemming from when people disregard, 
misinterpret, twist, ignore, reject the word of God. Many times we do know what God wants, but, but we stray. And we need to line up what we deal with, with the word of God. That the word of God is how we exercise discernment. And again, don't just take my words. Compare them to the word of God. And although we don't have prophets anymore, there are people who have prophetic gifts in that they can provide explanation of God's word with an urgent application that is also relevant to our context. So, so new, no new prophecies, but prophetic in the way scripture is exposited to show its importance for today. So there are no new apostles, no new prophets, but what about evangelists? Now, the Greek word used for evangelist here, you might be surprised, but it's only found three times in the entire Bible. Acts 21.8, with Philip the evangelist. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, where Paul wrote to Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And then here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. That's it. But every person in Christ is called to bear witness of Jesus Christ. We all share in this duty wherever our context of life is at the moment. But there's a difference between evangelism in our context of life and being an evangelist, just as there is a difference between someone's words being prophetic and being a prophet. And so when we're looking at people like Philip and Timothy, they were within this founding group, this inaugural group of the church of Apostles, prophets, and evangelists who were set apart for those things, for the founding roles of the church. And it's not to say that the gift of evangelism, like the gift of prophecy, doesn't exist because it obviously does. We know that prophetic voices and evangelism are needed today, just like in any other time in history. It is to say, though, that those evangelists were set aside for that time to establish and found the church just like those founding apostles and prophets. That the message is the same. There's no new message to be spread by evangelism. Now it seems to me that we have apostolic and prophetic gifts, gifts of evangelism, but as far as those offices, no. That that was for the establishment of the church. There is nothing to be added or to be taken away from the word of God. And so we need to continue to practice those gifts. But the real danger as to why I'm trying to bring a distinction between the office and the gift is because of how easy it is to let false teachings creep into the church when people declare themselves an apostle, a prophet an evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher, and changing the word of God, which cannot be done. Lastly, the shepherds and teachers, will, which is something we'll unpack along with verse 12 next week, since we're uh, running out of time. When this message began, there was a mention that all of these gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teachers, these were words of God gifts. That God's word is vital to all of this ministry and it's of utmost importance when the church neglects the word of God 
it has to realize that we are powerless, that we need the word of God. We need to know the word of God. And when Jesus prayed, he prayed this in John 17, 17, and with this I close. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we have been forewarned by you that there will be false teachers, false prophets to come and try to misrepresent who you are, who are leading people astray. I pray, Lord, that as we are one body, that you would equip your church with discernment, that your word will speak directly to us when we need to evaluate the different things that come before us and how to live like you if you were us. Thank you for your word to which we can always go back to. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us, that you would help us to minister well to others, to serve others well. And God, as we step into this next phase of life in the church in this post-COVID time, there's so much that we need from you to direct our steps. It's just a place we've never gone through before. And so we ask, Lord, for your mercy to guide us, that we would be humble and able to hear you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. On your way in, there, was, there, were, there were communion elements in the front, and if you don't have them, you can just raise your hand and we'll get that over to you. And if you do have them, we'll start with the wafer that's on the top of the communion elements. The wafer symbolizing the broken body of Christ for us spoken about as the one nailed to the cross, entombed, and then ascended. And then we are given this promise by Christ that he will return for us, and we take this until his return. And so I know that we are all imperfect, but in our imperfection, that is precisely why he continues to remind us that we need him. But there's also just a warning that if you're harboring a a resentment, a bitterness towards God, towards your brothers and sisters in the church, you would refrain from this and, and posture yourself to deal with those things, seeking peace and the unity of the Spirit. So as we are ready together, let's take this together. We also have the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. And as we wait and as we are readying ourselves for the return of Christ, let us take this together. Lord Jesus, we are humbled that you would think of us even thousands of years later with these elements to show to us that we are never forgotten and that we are loved. All glory to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.